This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stunevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson also says that, quote, in addition to spreading more quickly, it also now appears that there is some evidence that the new variant may be associated with a higher degree of mortality. That kind of freaked me out this morning. It did. This headline came across as I was interviewing Michelle Cortez. Mm -hmm. Um, And look, at the end of the day, and we're going to talk to Dr. Lusbader about it in one second. At the end of the day, if something is more contagious, if it overwhelms hospitals more, then that could increase the mortality rate just as a function of uh, putting a tax on healthcare workers. Right, right. It's so simple, right? Right. But, but, it, but it can have a really big impact. Uh, stats on the vi- virus right now, global cases exceeding 97.7 million deaths near 2.1 million, and more than 56.7 million shots of a COVID vaccine have been given around the globe. Joining us, as he always does every week, Dr. Ian Lusbader, Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine at NYU Langone Medical Center, on the phone in New York City. Ian, good to have you back with us. How are you? And I am curious how you see this news from the UK Prime Minister about uh, this variant spreading more quickly and then associated with a higher degree of mortality. Is it, you know, as Tim mentioned, about kind of a higher degree of a taxing on our medical uh, systems? Or, you know, are you a little bit more worried about something more being there? Happy Friday. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Happy uh, Friday. <laughs> on that note. Uh, well, there's no question that it does seem that the uh, UK variant uh, is growing, and we're, uh, several other variants, South America and South Africa, uh, all have to be kept an eye on. Um, and uh, viruses mutate. We've talked about this before. Uh, we don't really think the virus can mutate that dramatically because if the spike protein, which is where it attaches to our cells, if that mutates too dramatically, it may not be able to attach. But obviously, the concern is mutating to the point that it still can attach. And in the uh, higher transmissibility, that really may be part of the issue is that uh, uh, attachment and more easily spread. Uh, But at this point, it does appear the vaccine uh, does, because it's a polyclonal antibody, hits many parts of the spike protein, does seem protective. But you're exactly right. You know, the problem is uh, we have greater capacity to give shots than we have available vaccine. Uh, We really do need to mobilize on a a grander scale uh, the public health system to be setting up vaccine centers, whether it's in the Javits Center or other places. We really need to get a move on that to vaccinate as many people as soon as possible. There's still some vaccine hesitancy. Um, And we are seeing some more cases in the hospital, nothing like uh, what was there uh, almost a year ago, but definitely climbing. And exactly, you know, as was said, if we're seeing more cases, eventually that's going to translate to more hospitalizations and ultimately more deaths. So that is the concern, and it's a real concern. You mentioned, Dr. Lusbader, um, the idea of, of not necessarily mass vaccination sites, but more and more sites. Uh, we got some news just this morning from Walmart that the company's planning to offer COVID-19 vaccines in at least seven additional states. They're going to try to, um, if the supply is there, ramp up to give up to 13 million shots a month. Um, 
we also, as Caroline talked about, heard from a Bloomberg News reporter who said that um, Wall Street is pressing New York to let it help speed up vaccinations. When it comes to public-private partnerships, companies like Walmart, CVS, working with governments and states, um, is that the key to mass vaccination? Yes, I, I totally agree with you. I think that is the key. Really, uh, rather than having one or two giant sites, having these multiple scattered areas. And of course, you know, with Pfizer, it is a refrigeration issue. Moderna, a little easier. As new vaccines come along, uh, regular refrigeration should should make it easier. But totally, there is no reason uh, if Walmart or CVS, uh, 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 Walgreens, etc., have the infrastructure, there's no reason uh, why they can't do it. Uh, giving vaccinations requires some, you know, sort of uh, level of skill, but not impossible. And if they're already set up for that, there's the more the merrier would be my my response at this time, because that's ultimately only how you're going to bend the curve. Right. Exactly. Hey, one thing, you know what, Dr. Lespader, one thing that really kind of um, concerned me as President Biden was laying out his plan to deal with the virus and get more vaccines out to people was how many vaccines are actually in stockpile? Like, I think there's a miss. We just don't know. Are there a bunch of vaccines sitting somewhere just waiting to be dispersed? Or is manufacturing now just not able to keep up? Like, do you have any idea? I think it's both. Okay. Uh, certainly, uh, the manufacturers are incentivized because they're paid to to uh, do it. You can't just snap your fingers because it is uh, this is a sophisticated, you know, vaccine making those uh, lysosomes and uh, with messenger RNA in them is is not uh, an easy technology. But my understanding is that we have somewhere in the range of 38 million doses and only about 17 million have been given out. So I think we have a lot uh, that really have not been distributed yet. Why? I am not sure. Um, and I think we need to do both. I think we need to get into arms what we have available. There were some strategies you know, hold back some for second doses and so forth. I think we've learned that that it probably makes more sense just to get as many people vaccinated the first time. And even if there's a slight delay in getting that second vaccine, you know, while you're waiting for manufacturing, um, we can deal with it. Ian, can you believe we're a year in? Yeah, it is hard to believe. I think we really underestimated things. I remember when we were in the studio Mm -hmm. uh, back in uh, January and February, and there were just a few cases, and, and, uh, you know, thought, well, I remember a question being asked of me, do I think this will become a pandemic? And I said, well, it is multiple countries, you know, that could certainly happen. I think we all, I certainly underestimated just how devastating it would be and would never have thought a year down the line. And when I walked down Madison Avenue, Uh, back in the dark days. But even now, there are so many stores boarded up. And Mm -hmm. it's really been uh, a pretty terrible pandemic. Not as bad, thank goodness, as 1918, but we're not through it yet. So uh, unfortunately, more damage ahead, uh, even with the vaccine. It's it is shocking. I mean, I'm just thinking back to to where we were 10, 11 months ago. And it's 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 mind boggling to think, you know, you could never have told me a year ago that we'd be for, you know, a year into a pandemic and, and 400,000. I think uh, everybody kind of, yeah. I don't think we anticipated it would be as significant well, as it turned out I to mean, be. Personally, I mean, personally, you don't think of these things happening in, in 2021 uh, or 2020 in the United States. Right. And, and I think for a lot of Americans, that's, 
don't know if sobering is the right word, but it's it's been really shocking. And and I'm, I wonder, doctor, I mean, does that sort of, you know, takeaway make sense? It's like you, you sort of don't see this happening in, in the wealthiest country in the world. Right. It is really a global uh, phenomenon, not at all shocking. Uh, since 1918, there were ships and so forth. But now with air travel, just uh, no shock that these, uh, you know, viruses are, are everywhere, uh, mutating a little more than I think we anticipated. Mm. Um, but I think the the upside, if there is one, is that we've developed new vaccine technology quickly. I think this can be tweaked uh, if there are more significant mutations, if this does have to become a seasonal vaccine process, hopefully not. I think the mRNA technology is really a breakthrough. Um, and I think hopefully whether it's personal protective equipment, needles, syringes, ventilators, hopefully we can not fight the last war but be prepared uh, if there are other pandemics and statistically that you know may happen. So it's been a lesson and a painful lesson and hopefully we will make more efforts to really prepare and uh, harden the system whether it's you know our infrastructure system that needs improvement, mm. uh, the grid and other approaches you know we need to stop fighting and really try to make uh, forward progress to hardening the grid and really trying to think what other threats may be out there. And unfortunately, there's still some vaccine hesitancy. I see some patients and some staff, although the vast majority, 85% of the NYU doctors have taken the vaccine, there's still some vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. It's going to be hard to reach 80% unless we get everyone on board. Yeah, that's the thing that really kind of concerns me. And you heard Fauci talking about in terms of the percentage he would like to see to really get to herd immunity. Um, and he's looking for a higher percentage uh, than I think what maybe some of the uh, medical or CDC is recommending. Right. And I think um, having knowing a lot of doctors who, who have received the vaccine and are fine, I think that is somewhat reassuring. My patients are saying, oh, you took two shots. How are you doing? Any issues? You know, you, so you try and really reassure people that uh, it's safe. There are, you know, minimal risks and minimal side effects. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, just the distribution has been very disappointing. And I think we still have a few rough months to go unless we yeah. really mobilize to distribute um, getting vaccines in arms, which is needles, syringes, the actual vaccine, and staff to do it. Okay, so we only have about 10 seconds left. But your timeline for, for getting things back to normal, when does it happen? I still believe by summertime we will have uh, reached that 70 or 80 percent, and certainly by early fall. Yeah, I, I'm optimistic crossed. that it will happen. Yeah, I feel like we're hearing that a lot. What? Yeah, I mean, no, I just like to end on optimism. That's nice. I agree. You know, it's better than hearing the end of the year or 2022. Exactly. I can get my head around that. Yeah. Um, hey, Ian, be well. Take care of yourself. Thank Dr. You. Ian Lasbader, Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine at NYU Lango Medical Center, on the phone from New York City. You're right. Thanks for the optimism. Yeah, Friday. Friday. <laughs> no, but I think, listen... We're, we're increasingly hearing that, and I think we even heard that from Dr. Fauci, like this whole idea that even by the end of spring, early summer, we'll maybe see a lot of people already being vaccinated. But it's going to be a tough road to get there. He told us that yesterday 100,000 more people could die in the next month. Um, and look, so given what happened since December, that makes sense. It bothers me when I see the global cases of deaths in about a quarter are from the United States. Yeah. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic. From Bloomberg Radio.
This week, it's the year ahead issue of the magazine. It also includes an annual 50 companies to watch. Here with that and more on the issue is Bloomberg Business Week editor Jill Weber. He's on the access line in Brooklyn. And Jill, I always love this list. I feel like it's a guide for us throughout the year. And it really leverages some of the expertise and analysis that we have here at Bloomberg. Yeah, that's right. And this is an annual collaboration that we do with Bloomberg Intelligence and the analysts over there. Um, so big props to them for everything that they brought to bear here because uh, there's way too many companies for us to figure out <laughs> on our own. And they basically take the you know universe of the 2,000 companies that they track and basically put it through their spreadsheets until we come out with... 50 that we think are really interesting to watch and watch means not just um buy or sell where we have to be a little bit more ambivalent than that because they can't make calls but investors and readers have definitely noticed i've had um uh, a portfolio manager ping me before and say not sure if you knew this or not but like 40 of the companies that are on this this year's list this was um a year back Mm. um were outperforming their benchmarks Mm. Um, (laughs) so so it's you know if you knew what you were doing you could go long on a few and short some others and and probably uh look pretty smart past performance is no indication (laughs) uh, it's true it's true especially not right now yeah (laughs) Uh, so, Joel, what, what is sort of the common thread that, that runs through these 50 companies? I mean, because you have consumer staples on here, you've got materials, you've got healthcare, you've got Boeing on here. Um, what ties them together? There's a couple themes that I've noticed um, that I thought were, were interesting to comment on. One is um, travel. Um, and I think you can see this with, you mentioned Boeing there. Um, now that they're on the other side of, of the MAX um, debacle, uh, we, we, it, once we see travel start to perk up, we expect that, um, that, that plane will be back in business, which will be, uh, you know, a huge deal for, for Boeing as well as for airlines. I mean, there's also a couple of airlines on this list that I think are really interesting. Cafe Pacific being one, but also Wizz Air. Um, there's another article in, um, this issue about European airlines where, where Wiz operates, um, and Wiz was sort of a breakout um, before, and sort of all eyes on them to see if they can come back to it. Um, so, so I, I thought that travel one was interesting because I, you know, I think we all sort of uh, innately expect that to be um, a sector that you know the moment that you're vaccinated and able to travel, <laughs> I think a lot of people will. Uh, yeah, sign me up, sign me up. Hey, you know what's really cool too? It's it's some household names and then it's some companies that we don't really talk a lot about, uh, and that's what kind of makes this. Oh interesting. come on, you've never heard of some of these companies, right? Like, and that's I've that's never the heard goal. of Wizz Air. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we if we only told you about GEs, it's like yeah, right. I, thanks for providing some service. So so we really try to dig when we put this list together so that it's, you know, you get a combination of ones that you've heard of, AB InBev, for example, but we pair that with, uh, um, you know, not only an international um, quotient, but but just sort of the, the sense of discovery so that, you know, everybody's heard of Tesla, but, you know, perhaps you haven't heard of, you know, somebody like Albemarle, which is in the lithium business. And if you're looking for EV exposure, like something like that makes a lot of sense. So I was just talking I, about Albemarle at dinner last night. I'm just going to tell there you. There you go. And now you can talk about it, you know, over the weekend, <laughs> whenever you're, you know, having remote dinners with friends or whatever. Um, you know, but back to the other themes that I thought were really interesting. Another one, I don't know if you guys noticed this, how much China plays a role in here. Um, yeah. And, and there are domestic companies. Uh, there are companies that have expo- more international exposure. But when you go through the list, it's really impressive just how much um, China factors into everything.
Yeah. Um, are there other regional variations here? I mean, did you did you sort of put parameters on when you talked to the team at, at, at Bloomberg Intelligence? Or do you say, hey, these are 2000 companies. Um, we want to know which 50 you think should be on the list. So we, we do have, um, we basically just want to make sure that we have regional exposure. So if we if we talked about 50 and didn't account for for Europe or Asia, especially um, off this year, we you know it wouldn't be an interesting list. Mm. So so we definitely we don't set any hard rules. Uh, we kind of let the data speak, but we definitely just make sure that we we have that um, regional exposure in addition to to everything else. Um, I do think like the I think we're a little overweight on on Asia, um, and that is for good reason because yeah. um, you know another company that you know totally was an obvious one when you kind of sit back and think about it, it was like Nintendo, right? Mm -hmm. Nintendo is. Um, got a new switch coming. We're all still locked at home and looking for, you know, <laughs> new consoles that we had, uh, you know, the, the Sony Microsoft war tends to kind of lead first, but then Nintendo comes from behind and everybody ends up playing switch. It seems so we'll see if that one proves true. Um, so, so that's just a, another, uh, Asia example for I you, but like you, I, you, I, there's I, even some South American there. I feel like I just got a little bit more insight into Joe Weber and his weekend. You're just not going to get say. the 4k switch, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I haven't not yet. <laughs> um, what about PayPal, Joel? This was a, this was one that was kind of surprising just in the sense of it's gotten a lot of attention this year for adding yeah, crypto totally. capabilities. Um, but when yeah. you think of digital wallets, I mean, uh, your team's saying, Hey, um, you could likely be reaching for uh, your PayPal account. Yeah, the the PayPal one is interesting because we've seen, uh, you know, there's so many players there, but then it's a it's a it's a space where it feels like entrenched players, like like a PayPal, may have sort of an unfair advantage. Um, so the fact that they've navigated so many security stuff for so long that everyone's paying remote already. Uh, they seem like a really interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, and the numbers there are, are just really interesting to see, you know, sales growth, you know, go up 15%. It, it just totally, the, the circumstances place straight to them. Well, and speaking of sales growth, uh, Twilio, Jeff Lawson, uh, co-founder, CEO, we caught up with him actually yesterday. He's got a new book out. Um, and we talked about some of that growth. I mean, they had an unbelievable 2020 and he's pretty upbeat, you know, once again for 2021. Uh, but it's a name that we've talked about a lot here, Joel. Yeah. And they're interesting. It's a, it's a, that omni-channel play, yeah. a super convenient, um, business software, you know, that business software space, I guess you could call that maybe like a sub thread through here. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a couple different companies that end up kind of working in that space. And, and it's because, you know, with remote capabilities being what they are, everyone's looking for not only exposure, but solutions in this space. And, and Twilio is certainly an example of that. All right. Well, it's a great list. And I got to say, it's one of my favorite issues. I feel like I put this on the side, I leave it on my desk, and I constantly refer to it uh, throughout the year. Joel, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Joel Weber, editor of Bloomberg Business Week on the remote access uh, from Brooklyn. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
It is time for the drive to the close. Bill Smead is back with us, CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Smead Capital Management. And uh, I got to point out that the Smead Value Fund beating just about all of its peers so far this year, most of its peers over the past three years, it's in the 99th percentile for its category, according to Bloomberg data over the past month and year to date, returning 9% over the past month. Bill is with us on the phone from Portland, Oregon. Hey, Bill, um, nice to have you here. How are you? Doing well. Nice to be with you. Um, crazy couple of weeks to start off the year. And I do wonder, listen, you focus on a portfolio of, uh, in many ways, uh, of who's who of corporate America, you know, names like Target, Discovery, Amex, Lennar. Um, anything changed in your strategy because of kind of the political craziness that we saw in the first two weeks of the year? And then now that we have a new administration, are you thinking about the markets? Are you thinking about investing any differently? No, not any differently, but definitely thinking about the way um, economics are changed Hmm. by the political climate. And, uh, you know, I heard uh, uh, Charlie and your market update people say real estate's the best performing category today. Hmm. Uh, For example, it would not be outside the realm of those of us that have been around a long time uh, to look back at the 1970s and what did well back then when the baby boomers were this huge new population group forming households and we all wanted the same things at the same time. And in the 60s, we had massively increased government spending to fight a war in Vietnam and to battle poverty in the great society at the same time. And you put all that government money together with uh, at that time, 79 million baby boomers, and you got double-digit inflation out of the deal. Well, this time we got 90 million millennials, and we got, so we're trying to get us out of this pandemic funk with massive government spending. And, and uh, are we going to have something different? The, the, the one nice thing for us in the competitive stock-picking landscape is I, I, I was around in the 70s, <laughs> so I know what that looks like. And what does it look like in comparison to what you expect happening in the near future here? Well, for, let's just use one example. I, I think of the movie Gone with the Wind. When things got really difficult in Gone with the Wind, they show Scarlett O'Hara, and she can hear her dad speaking to her in her mind. She, she's going, go back to Tara. It's the land. The land is the only thing that lasts. So, uh, you know, today real estate's up because they don't make more of it. And we're trying to sort out where people are going to live. Yeah. But it, it, it isn't going to change what the most attractive suburban areas of the country are. It will change where we live, but it won't change what is attractive. And we own two mall REITs, Simon Property and Macerich, that owns a lot of the most attractive real estate in the most attractive suburbs, in the most attractive places in the United States. And we just can't see that not sorting out in a favorable well, way because the, the property, it's the land. Well, you know, location, location, location. And, and just kind of a deep tease here. We've got, we're going to talk a little bit later on on our broadcast, the top 10 housing markets to watch in 2021. We'll do that a little bit later. But, you know, do you, like you said, you like the REITs that you have specifically. Safe to say, though, that there is going to be some real estate fallout because... 
companies maybe aren't going to have as much corporate space because they're realizing that we can have workers work from home. I mean, there will be some fallout, no? There could be, Carol. I, I, we're not very good at, at, at guessing those kind of things. Yeah. But yet the psychology uh, could tell you something. And I think it's safe to say that in the last three months, we reached a pinnacle of people becoming convinced that everyone was going to use a Peloton and everyone was going to work from home and nobody was ever going to come back to Manhattan and nobody was ever going to come back to downtown Seattle or downtown Portland. So, so we, we reached a kind of a maximum pessimism about that. And we haven't done anything in that area, but I think some very smart people probably are. Mm. And over a five-year time frame, they're probably going to do really well. See, I, my experience with work from home is I interact with a lot of businesses, and I personally am getting way worse service from businesses hmm. with employees working at home really? than I did from business. Oh, yeah. It, there's no question about it. Uh, it, it uh, and, you know, I, I, I can think of a lot of different categories, but, for example, I have flown more than other people. Mm -hmm. And all the employees, you know, for the reservations and everything work at home. And I've, I've rented cars. And, you know, trying to get a hold of somebody sometimes is like an act of Congress. Uh, and, and so I, I, my, my gut feeling is I focus on that progressive commercial where the guy is teaching people how to act like their parents because they're going to do that anyway. Right, the guy puts his hands on his knees before he sits down in a chair. I about died laughing when I saw that. That's how my dad sat down in the chair was he put his hands on his knees and then he'd sit down in the chair. <laughs> well, we're not going to have to teach millennials to act like their parents. They will, and the beauty of it is, this massive number of thirty to forty-five year olds are buying stocks on Robinhood, etc. And yeah, their best investment is going to oh. be buying a home and using hmm. a forced savings program. Well, this is a, this explains why you like Lennar. It explains why you like um, Dr. Horton, right? Uh, those are two plays. You also yeah. just got about forty seconds here. You say oil is automobile cocaine, and environmental considerations only raise the price for producers. So you like what Conoco Phillips and a few others. Just quickly. My outlandish thought of the year is two years from now, Joe Biden will be doing a fireside chat with the American public, wearing a cardigan sweater, asking us all to turn our thermostats down because the people in California don't have enough electricity to charge their cars. Whoa. All right. We're going to hold it. To, we're going to hold you to it. Bill Smead. Uh, we'll see where we are in a year. Um, Bill, always fun to talk with you. Uh, appreciate it. Bill Smead, CEO, CIO. Um, he is over at Smead Capital Management, of course, uh, on the phone with us uh, from Seattle on this Friday. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.